Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome back. Thursday, May 11th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and our phone number is 602-508-0960-602-5080-960. David Dahl, good to see you. You're going to, um, you, you've, you, like, what, once or twice a day try to do something to throw me off my, what is it, to rattle my, Rattle my rattle my soul a little bit. Rattle my metal. Rattle my I like fiber. Rattling my sabers. Huh? Yeah, you like to rattle your sabers to rattle my metal a little bit. You like to taunt me with your lunch, mm-hmm. which you did today because you I know did. I don't eat and I'm basically consuming muscle at this point. I'm so hungry. And then you have a political pin, which is as bright as neon. What is that? Bright orange. It says yeah. Pete McCluskey for president. Yeah, I hate Pete McCluskey. That's why you are. Yeah, orange. You don't think of a lot of political campaigns in America that were orange, do you? No, I, in fact, I think it is the first mistake of any political campaign <laughs> to take on orange as their colors. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. In regards to the aftermath of Donald Trump's town hall with CNN last night, there's a lot to say, and I could spend the hour repeating quotes from CNN employees, CNN admirers, and other mainstream journalists, all of whom are angry that Caitlin Collins and variations of the foregoing words, allowed Donald Trump to broadcast, how do they all put it, lies, gave Donald Trump a platform to repeat fake news, provided a forum for a massive rally of support with the credibility of CNN. Oliver Darcy of CNN himself, a news journalist, not an op-ed writer or contributor, he wrote, Donald Trump's appearance on the platform last night was, quote, a fire hose of disinformation, close quote. I think the thing most telling is a line from an employee call with CNN uh, held by Chris Licht, the new CEO and chairman of CNN. He told his employees to calm down that, in his words, CNN is in the newsmaking business and they made news that will ultimately work against Trump's favor. An anonymous CNN network spokesman wrote, quote, that is CNN's role and responsibility, close quote. And there, right there, is the problem. CNN, or at least its CEO and chairman, believe their job is to make news. Not report it. Make it. I swear it's almost as if nobody went to the eighth grade. It was in the eighth grade, in the context of learning about the Cuban Revolution of 1895, that we learned about the phrase yellow journalism, best represented by the battles between William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer. The quote we all learned was that cabled by Hearst to Frederick Remington. You furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. Does anyone remember that from their social studies classes? And how Hearst exploited the sinking of the USS Maine? You remember that, David, from eighth grade, don't you? That's when we learned it in eighth grade. I thought we all did. And that journalism wasn't supposed to do that. That was the hit on Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst. We all learned it was specifically not what journalism was supposed to do. That is to say, whip up emotions and news stories for either lucre or preferred causes. 
Just so there was no mistaking this, students of journalism will remember that it was a few years earlier that Hearst wrote, quote, Our object is not to inquire whether a thing can be done, but whether it ought to be done, and if it ought to be done, to so exert the forces of publicity that public opinion will compel it to be done, close quote. Exert the forces of publicity that public opinion will compel action. That is a catechistic definition of yellow journalism. And here, some, what, 130 years later, we are right back at it again, with no shame, no embarrassment, no blushing at all from the higher-ups at CNN. One might say Mr. Licht said the quiet part out loud, but it's not really been a quiet part for a while now, has it? What, by the way, CNN and its Confederates call the lies of Donald Trump are not all lies, really, not most of them. Much of what he says that they called lies are actually just his opinions. And if opinions are to duel, then any organization calling itself a news network, it seems to me, has a moral obligation to not see its job as inviting someone to be interviewed for their thoughts and views, especially if they are a political candidate, and then call those thoughts and views lies in real time with interruptions and live attempts at corrections and last words from the interviewer or moderator. That's not to say an interview can't be tough, but when someone asked on the network to give their opinion gives their opinion, it may be the job of debating opponents to call those opinions lies, but it's not the job of the interviewer to do so, especially when it's not a debate. And, of course, there would be nothing wrong with the debate, but that is not what CNN invited Donald Trump to come and do. I said moral obligation of the media a few moments ago, but moral obligation may be a phrase of such discounted meaning and especially discounted meaning when it comes to today's media that it is actually meaningless to expect or hope for it. Let's talk about lies, lies, what the media calls lies. What the media calls the lies of Republicans and or Donald Trump. This is what fascinates me so. It would be hard to recite the legion and Pantagruelian lies of the media and the left that are so much more impactful. But a starting point might be we weren't in a recession last year. The border is secure. The border is not open. The border would be more secure if Republicans weren't obstructing the Democrats. Joe Biden has reduced border crossings 90 percent. There is no settled definition of a woman. Border Patrol agents were whipping Haitian immigrants. Joe Biden has never discussed business with his son. Inflation will be transitory. Sanctions against Russia will be crippling. Thomas Edison did not invent the light bulb. Men can menstruate and give birth. Our country was founded in 1619. The entire country is systematically racist when it isn't being run by people who are implicitly biased. Larry Elder is a white supremacist. Donald Trump is an anti-Semite. Randy Weingarten didn't support closing and keeping schools closed. The withdrawal from Afghanistan was an extraordinary success. Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. Vaccines keep you from getting COVID or from getting sick or from getting hospitalized or from dying. And the president of the United States is compost mentis. Each and every one of those lies is far more dangerous than a belief about an election that Donald Trump has. And quite frankly, that Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Jimmy Carter continually held and still hold about the same election four years prior when it didn't go their way. 
We should recognize this. Familiarize ourselves with where this all comes from and what it leads to or has led to. The kind of society that imprisoned the Czech writer and political leader Václav Havel, who wrote it up this way. He said, in totalitarian forms of government, life in the system is so thoroughly permeated with hypocrisy and lies. Government by bureaucracy is called popular government. The working class is enslaved in the name of the working class. The complete degradation of the individual is presented as his ultimate liberation. Depriving people of information is called making it available. The use of power to manipulate is called the public control of power. And the arbitrary abuse of power is called observing the legal code. The repression of culture is called its development. The expansion of imperial influence is presented as support for the oppressed. The lack of free expression becomes the highest form of freedom. Farcical elections become the highest form of democracy. Banning independent thought becomes the most scientific of worldviews. And military occupations become fraternal assistance. Because the regime is captive to its own lies, he concluded, it must falsify everything. It falsifies the past, it falsifies the present, and it falsifies the future. It falsifies statistics. It pretends not to possess an omnipotent and unprincipled police apparatus. It pretends to respect human rights. It pretends to persecute no one. It pretends to fear nothing. It pretends to pretend nothing. Close quote. Our own version might run something like, not only was Afghanistan an extraordinary success, and not only is the border secure, and not only would vaccines prevent illness and death, but also speech is violence, violence is mostly peaceful, peacefully and patriotically marching is insurrection, gender changing is gender affirming, keeping hands off a body is having clinicians operate in the body, wanting those hands off the body is putting hands on it, colorblindness is racism, discrimination is anti-racism, Voter suppression means more voters voting. Build back better means higher gas prices for your car and food shortages for your babies and tampon shortages for women or menstruating men or that war is peace and freedom is slavery and ignorance is strength. This is how fast the world is moving and this is how fast the culture is trying to be changed and is being changed. The other great Czech writer I quote a lot, Milan Kundera, put it that the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. Maybe we should add M-A-K-A, make Kundera fiction again, another hashtag. You know what dawned on me? In everything else we are losing, we are losing our points of reference and cultural anal- al- analogies. Keep in mind what I reminded about from our eighth grade social studies classes in yellow journalism. We used to joke about Baghdad Bob. Do you remember him? Saddam Hussein's henchman who said U.S. troops were not in Baghdad just as U.S. tanks were rolling behind him in Baghdad. Ali Velshi had that in 2020 when he said the riots were mostly peaceful as a bombed-out building fire raged behind him. I don't think we can joke about Baghdad Bob anymore. Not because the reference isn't worthwhile, but because nobody will understand how what Bob said was a problem. Just as they have no problem with any of the other lies, great and small, I was just talking about. We have a power problem in America. We have a manufactured consent problem in America. We have a truth problem in America, and each and every one of those problems is brought to you 
by the government of America and our Diogenes, the media, which has blown out its lanterns and just goes along with it all because the ideology and the outcome and the result is the key, not the truth, not holding power up to the scrutiny of truth, not consent of the governed giving power to the government, but government coercing consent upon the governed and the media going along with it. The leftist MIT professor Noam Chomsky used to call this manufacturing consent. Chris Licht told us that was CNN's job after all. And for the day's news cycle, Caitlin Collins manufactured poorly. But in the long haul and long run, Licht assures it was a good and faithful servant's job well done. What is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that we hear enough of them will no longer recognize the truth at all. May I end by quoting Milan Kundera again? The struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 960 Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. India, Russia, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, China. They're all conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The veterans at Midas Gold Group see terrible implications. The end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase, the end of cash. Could there be ties to social credit? Own private currency, gold and silver. Now, get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. MidasGoldGroup.com. The expiration of Title 42 has a... um, has the leading chapter of a federal code number ever been more prominent on the national tongue? 42 is, interestingly, the health book on our federal code. It's not immigration. It's health. Immigration's mostly in Title Eight. And the thing that continues to astound me is twofold. One, the regime's lies about what has brought us to this point. Joe Biden saying that it's because of Republican obstruction that we have had this crisis, that we are at this crisis point. And as Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, saying the border is secure up until today. Now, yesterday... Joe Biden, one off talking point. Surprise, surprise. He was having a press gaggle. That's what they call it when the press comes up to you with microphones right outside of Marine One, the helicopter. So it was a little loud, which I'm 
sure, was done by design so the audio wouldn't be as clear as it otherwise normally would be. And one of the reporters asked Joe Biden if he's prepared for the chaos that will ensue with the expiration of Title 42. By the way, do remember, parenthetically, let me point out, do remember that the Biden administration sued to end 42 earlier, to end Title 42 earlier. They never liked Title 42. For a while, they wanted it to expire. Anyway, he was asked yesterday if the administration was prepared for the chaos that was about to unfold. And do you hear what Joe Biden said? He said there's been chaos at the border for years. What? There's been chaos at the border for years? I think he and Alejandro Mayorkas need to step outside, get their story straight, and come back in the room. For the last two years, Mayorkas was telling us the border was secure. The border was not open. By the way, speaking of lies, the media doesn't like being told over their airwaves. Is there going to be any fact checks on either one of those two claims? Either Joe Biden's contradictory statements against his secretary of Homeland, excuse me, Homeland Security. Or will there be fact checks on the multiple times Mayorkas have told us everything was just fine, just fine? Well, there's going to be a flood and it's not going to be funny, but I will tell you, be interesting to watch a few things, a few things. Will the Biden administration actually get serious about this now, even that it's past boiling and crisis point? And what will be the comments and actions of sanctuary city mayors and governors when migrants, illegal aliens, are starting to be bussed and flown into their communities once again to deal with the overflow. Will they take them or will they move them elsewhere? Because it's so easy to be a sanctuary city in theory and philosophy, but not in reality. As we saw happened when DeSantis and Abbott flew illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard and Washington, D.C., and Chicago. Watch for that. Watch for that. This notion, I say sanctuary city so you know what I'm talking about. That's an Orwellian term too, by the way. It's not a sanctuary city. It's a nullification city. What locals have done in proclaiming their cities safe for undocumented Americans, as they call them, not illegal aliens, another Orwellian phrase, is violated federal law. There is a federal law on immigration. There is a federal law that prevents illegal immigration. These sanctuary cities, mayors and governors, are engaging in nullification of federal law. Surprise, surprise, it's the Democratic Party that invented the idea of nullification. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. All right, David, you're, you're good at stumping me. Let me try and stump you here. Maybe an unfair question. There is a uh, town in Arizona that has a um, uh, relationship to Winston Churchill. Are you aware of it? Oh. I gotcha. Mm. Check out Jerome, Arizona. 
It's a beautiful place, by okay. the way. But look okay. it up. Look up Jerome, Arizona. The cousin of the founder was his grandmother. I was thought, put in mind of that because I was just having a conversation before the show started with a friend of mine about uh, Winston Churchill. And um, kind of added to the thought when I thought about something my friend said. He said, well, a third person we were talking about is is um, is an Anglophile, um, in part because he's a huge fan of Winston Churchill's. And I said to my friend, I said, yeah, well, Churchill was an American. Did you know that? No. A couple uh, ways, a couple different ways. All right, explain. Yes. <laughs> he was conferred American citizenship by uh, John F. Kennedy in... Uh, 1963, April of 1963, uh, he was given full American citizenship. But he always thought that that Jerome connection made him already partially American, uh, La- Lady Randolph Churchill. And um, one of the most beautiful things he wrote, believe it or not, was beautifully beautiful things he wrote in an awful moment was on the eve of Pearl Harbor. You ever read what he wrote about what happened the night of Pearl Harbor? 1941. He wrote in his diary the following. People will question America's resolve. They are silly people. They are many. Not only in enemy countries, they might discount the force of the United States. Some said they were soft, others they would never be united, that they would fool around at a distance, they would never come to grips, they would never stand bloodletting, their democracy and system of recurrent elections would paralyze their war effort. They would be just a vague blur on the horizon to friend or foe. Now, we should see the weakness of this numerous but remote, wealthy, and talkative people, but I had studied the American Civil War, fought out to the last desperate inch. American blood flowed in my veins, he wrote. And I thought of a remark, which Edward Gray had made me more than 30 years before, that the United States is like a gigantic boiler. Once the fire is lighted under it, there is no limit to the power it can generate. But saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. He was thankful that America was finally brought into World War II. He wrote earlier in his diary that it was at that point he knew the war was over. Uh, Anyway, I was thinking about that in a lot of different contexts, especially with the immigration debate, especially with the question about are we able to get through all these tough times we're going through, really tough, tough times an absentee president. And I didn't, by the way, even mention Kamala Harris, our vice president, who, as I noted yesterday, is nowhere to be found, oddly, right? Since wasn't she given the portfolio? Wasn't she given the brief for dealing with our immigration problem? Am I, am, am I just totally misremembering that? I'm not. It's a rhetorical question. That was the brief she was given. And have I missed the interview? Did anyone see the interview with her of late? I mean, yeah, a lot of Biden, a lot of Karen Jean-Pierre, a lot of Mayorkas. 
Where's the person who was handed the brief to deal with this? Is this another Kamala Harris failure and they're hiding her? Or is it just an administration failure and they can't have a failed rhetorician addressing it? They've got a real problem here. A non-compass mentis president and a vice president who, while compass mentis, sounds like she's not. It's a lot of double negatives, but I think you take the point. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. It's an awfully high note to hit with a male voice. I saw them, Jay and the Americans, uh, uh, at a gala once, and he did it. He he got that note. Um, a note that uh, our society needs to get is our decline into um, insanity is rapidly apace. A friend I was talking to right before the show I mentioned earlier, he was... Um, mentioning a state he lives in, California, and how it went from crazy to, he said, I don't know what's beyond crazy. I said, maybe insanity. It went from crazy to insane. It went from crazy to insane. New York, have you seen, um, have you seen the news out of New York? Daniel Penny, he's the man who, uh, he's the man who grabbed Jordan Neely in the subway and had him in a chokehold. He is uh, being charged now, 24-year-old former Marine. I guess I should say Marine veteran. You're never really former. He is uh, being charged with second-degree manslaughter. That could be a penalty, if I understand the New York Code correctly, of something like, I think it's it's... It would be less than 20 years, but something in double digits maximum, maybe 15, 10, 15 years. You could get 10 to 15 years. Someone wrote in Time magazine that um, no one cares about the homeless until they die. No one cared about Jordan Neely until he died. This man who had over 40 arrests many for violent acts, threatening the people on the subway. No cops around. In fact, he was out on a warrant wanting for his arrest. No cops around because New York City has seen resignation after resignation of cops over the last three years, thousands below where their force should be. And, of course, the defund the police efforts of the previous mayor, the current and previous governor and the DA have depleted that force even further. So there were no cops around. So what do you do? You let a psychotic continue to threaten people in a confined captive audience space? Is that what we just do? We just allow the sane and civilians to be subject to the insane and the violent. Who knew what he was going to do? He had a record. Of course, Mr. Penny didn't know the record, but he knew the actions. He saw the actions. 
and he saw the people were helpless, and he saw that Neely was threatening them, and he said, and he and he heard what Neely said, which was that he was not afraid of the law. What are we to do? What are we supposed to do about this? Inez uh, Stepman Felcher, or excuse me, Inez uh, Felcher Stepman wrote the breakdown of law and order. And the revolving door of progressive policies that put criminals, the insane, and the drug-addled back on the street has cost New Yorkers their quiet confidence that they can go about their business in peace. Contra the chorus of scolding liberals online, many of whom turn out to be living in wealthy enclaves anyway, ordinary people are not content to be screamed at, threatened, spat on, and generally alarmed by criminal justice lunatics just one voice in their head away from a stabbing spree. If the state refuses to maintain the law and decent citizens have to accept fearing for their lives as the price of a commute, the steady flow of people and businesses away from states like New York will not be the only consequence. Won't be the only consequence. Steve Hayward did a nice job uh, today of excerpting a piece from something Angelo Cotavola of recent memory wrote. The paradigm is this. This was written... 25 years ago, the paradigm is this. American police in general seem to, have desig- seem to have designated as their main enemy, as the criminal they cannot tolerate, the citizens who protect themselves. In fact, the police have effectively lobbied for the disarmament of law-abiding citizens and for punishment of those who take the law into their own hands, and courts have consistently held individuals acting in undeniable self-defense liable for injuries to the assailant. Courts will protect a loudmouth youth who shouts obscenities at a woman but punish the woman's husband or the youth's father who punches that mouth. The regime has brought this about, not the people. Well, the police aren't there anymore, but the law enforcement officials in the DA's offices are and the liberal votaries are. And we're the worse off, obviously, for it. There are defenses to second-degree manslaughter. One, one of many, one of many defenses would be whether it was actually his his actions, Daniel Penny's actions, that were the direct cause of death. This is why I want to see the toxicology screen of Jordan Neely. I don't care about race. By the way, one of the people subduing Neely was also a minority. I don't care about race. I'll say it again. I don't care about the race of assailants. I don't care about the race of alleged assailants. I don't care about the race of the victim. I care about two things. What was their family formation and what does their toxicology screen say? We do know that Jordan Neely, the deceased, was a regular drug user We do know that he was a regular user of synthetic tetrahydrocannabinol. We do know there is a link to that drug and psychosis. What else was or may have been in his system? So interesting to me how fast the coroner reports, I should say how slow, the coroner reports take to give us those toxicology screens if they ever give them to us. Of course, it'll be a big part of Daniel Penny's defense, I'm sure. I'm sure. Hopefully, other witness testimony will be as well. 
What is the rational response? What should be the rational response? To a confined and closed environment, absent law and order, absent police, and a physically violent and threatening assaultive psychotic. What should be the rational response? Wait until he punches another person in the face? Wait until he brandishes a gun or a knife or a bat? Wait until he hurts the peaceful and the civil? Is that the rational response? The Talmud has a great phrase, where there are no men, be a man. I think Daniel Penny was acting manly. Mike, don't go away. We'll be right back. I'll go right to you. Sam Stone on deck to join us uh, in studio and take your calls uh, with me in the next hour, playing a little of the music from his college years where he was probably out dancing to Ico Ico at the Kahootek festivals of his youth. Mike is in Carefree. Hello, Mike. Hi, Seth. How's your day? Pretty good. How about you? Good, thank you. Yeah, I watched the video of that, and they keep saying it was a chokehold and, and go on and on about how that killed him. It was not truly a chokehold. It was technically what they call a sleeper. The okay. antecubital fossa or the bend in the elbow was directly over the larynx, so it doesn't crush it. Yeah, yeah. And and what happens is if you hold them long enough, you put pressure on the carotid arteries, and and they then they'll stop fighting. That generally is not lethal. Um, it can have complications if you have severe atherosclerosis or if you have cardiac instability from drug use and so what forth. What about like if fentanyl's in your system? Well, fentanyl doesn't per se do that. It's it's more the stimulant. But doesn't it suppress um, breathing? Yes, it suppresses breathing. But I, I I don't think you could say it's suppressing breathing when the guy's fighting and takes three guys to hold him down. Okay. Okay. But the thing is, this this is not the lethal chokehold. Uh, this is the choke the chokehold that they teach you can do without killing someone. Much like George Floyd, you know he he didn't have something pressing on his neck. What he had was pressure on his back and probably a cardiac history and a cardiac arrhythmia. Okay. Uh, and, and, but the, this was not the type of chokehold that you're taught in the Marine Corps with a forearm yeah. to snap somebody's neck and crush their larynx. Yeah. And so he was obviously not trained. He was not trying to kill this guy. Well, theoretically, that is the defense he'll make, right? Theoretically. Um, and hopefully it won't be shown that it was the, 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 the suppression of him that was the immediate cause of his death. Hopefully well, it will be shown. Well, you have people factors. that are high on, high on drugs, and it sounds like from his behavior that it's more likely psychosis. And yeah, no, of course, right. Not responsive and, and to normal is, reactions, right. It's, it's a stress test. Yeah. And when these people live on the streets and have this lifestyle and smoke and drink and they're 40 or 50, they tend to have coronary artery disease, yep, yep. and and when they and when they fight and battle like that, it's it, and they go down. Well, that they flunk their stress test. Yep, yep. That is the ultimate <laughs> failure of a stress test. I would also imagine his failure to respond to the to 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 um, to Mr. Penny and the others who were helping Mr. Penny. His failure to respond would also be indicative of some form of a psychotic episode. Yeah, I would bet you dollars to donuts there's stimulants in his system. Well, he was known to be a regular K2 user, 
um, for there one you thing. Go. Yeah, well, yeah, ketamine will ketamine can definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. There you go, Mike. Bless That's you. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank Appreciate you. the clarity. I'm Seth. Sam Stone coming up. You got calls for us. We're here for you. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the barrier to entry. Pretty easy one.